Oh, you guys are so nice. Thank you so much. You know, we've actually been excited to, I guess I can, sorry. Um, I'm Bane uh, from any Batman fans. Um, I, I've, been, I've been planning to come to, our, Arkansas has been on our hearts since uh, last summer. I actually thought I was coming to Arkansas. A church reached out to me and said, would you come speak at our church located in AK? They used the abbreviation AK, which I thought was Arkansas. So I, I booked it. I told my wife, I told my friends, hey, I'm going to Arkansas. Pray for us. Two weeks before, before we're leaving, I found out AK stands for Alaska. I, I ended up in Homer, Alaska, surrounded by bears and bald eagles. And I, so I double-checked, you guys are A-R, A-R, so I'm excited to be in A-R finally in Arkansas, I've been, I've been missing you for a year, um, and you guys have been so gracious to us, thank you so much, um, everywhere I go, I'm kind of known as the, uh, the cancer guy, I'm the, the cancer survivor, that's kind of become my label, and um, thank you, thank you. Um, I, <laughs> I'm actually going to make a, make a point about why I don't like that, but, um, but thank you for the applause. I've noticed something, though, is whenever you go through trauma, people label you on that trauma and nothing else. Like, you could start your own business, be an incredible mother and, or an incredible father, but if you get divorced, you're known as the person who got divorced. When people talk about, oh, you know so-and-so? Uh, who, who, you know, they, they, they got divorced. Oh, yes. Not like, oh, you know, they're a great mother, they're a great father, you know, they, you know, whatever. Like, it's, it's based on your trauma. If your house burns down in a fire, it doesn't matter what you've accomplished in your life. People are like, oh, that, you know, that's the person in the fire, the house. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you survive cancer. And you're no longer like, oh, you know, he's the guy who preaches or sings. Like, he's a cancer survivor. Oh, yes, cancer survivor. i got to be honest with you. You are more than your trauma. Like, you're, you're not labeled by your trauma. And I came to tell you, I am more than a cancer survivor. I was bitten by a seagull. I survived seagulls. I've been sprayed by a skunk. No one talks about that. I've been stung by a stingray. I've been chased by a beaver. But I've never had a church say, would you come share that story with us? No, I'm the cancer survivor. And I came to tell you, I've survived animals too. I'm a, I am a 3D full survivor, fully rounded survivor. Not just cancer. I was actually born blue. Which, you know, I guess is not good. I, you too? Yeah. They, they, they put me in my father's uh, arms and they said, hug him for the last time. And he didn't let go. So, I'm not just a cancer guy. I've, I've survived seagulls. That's all I just wanted to tell you. Just to set the record straight. I've survived seagulls. In fact, let me tell you about something else that survived. 
So I'm from San Diego, California, not San Diego, Texas, just in case you were wondering. I, th- I think there's another San Diego in Texas. I'm like the, the one in California. And we, you know, many people in San Diego, you know, they go to the beach. And so my wife and I, uh, I was, you know, I was trying to woo her. We weren't married yet. I was trying to get her to think like, wow, what a man. So I took her to the beach. I rented a longboard. A longboard is just a long surfboard for people who are not athletic. So that was me. Uh, so I, I took her out to the ocean. We went past all the waves. And it's very important that, that you know that. Remember this. We went past all of the waves. Why? Because I had to show her I was a man. That's, you know, like, wow, I'm so brave. And, and, and she was saying, you know, Jason, I'm a, little, I'm a little concerned because of sharks. And I was like, honey, like, they locked up all the sharks at SeaWorld with no parole. So, like, we're fine. There's no sharks in San Diego. So we went past all of the waves. All the waves. Remember that. That will be important. While we're out there, past all the waves. I just want you to know my man. So, uh, past all the waves. Uh, she, uh, she pointed into the water and she yelled, Shark! I was like, oh, come on. And then I looked into the water. Now, at this moment, we're sitting on the surfboard with our feet dangling in the water. And I looked down near my right foot. And it's not like a dolphin. This is me doing a dolphin, by the way. You know how they kind of like, I can't do a dolphin. You know? But sharks are like this. Maybe this will help. Sharks are like this, and dolphins are like, <laughs> you get it, right? So I looked and he was, you know, he was doing this thing, which is what sharks do. So as manly as I could, I tried to lift my, my feet out of, have you ever, have you ever tried to maintain your masculinity while like sitting like this and being like, you know, thankfully I was sitting behind her so she couldn't see. And I was like, you know, it's okay. And I, I gotta be honest with you, I started like panicking a little bit, you know, cause sharks eat humans. So the sharks left. Not even five minutes later, he comes back with two other sharks. They start surrounding our board. I'm not, I was panicking inside. The difference between my wife and I was she was panicking on the outside. She was shaking. And I thought she was going to flip us over and be the cause of our death. So I started thinking, what could I say? So I said, honey. Do not fear. God is with us. I didn't mean it. Does God go in the ocean? I don't know. There's a reason, you know, he didn't make me with flippers. Like, I don't know. I did not, I gotta be honest with you, I did not feel God's presence in that moment. I just tried to sound like I did. I was trying to impress her. Trying to sound like a man of God. A man of faith. Don't worry. Do not fear. God is with us. You know? I didn't mean it. I just thought it might calm her down so we don't flip and die. That's it. And, uh, well, I've had more, more times in my life like that where I'd be in a situation and I didn't feel God's presence. I think sometimes when we don't feel God's presence, you know, we go to church and we sing about God, we talk about God, and sometimes we go through life and we go through a season, we don't feel God, we don't see God, we don't hear God, and we think, therefore, there's something wrong with me. I think some of us in this room right now, you feel like, man, what's wrong with me? I don't feel God. I must be doing something wrong. And, and I, I hope I can encourage you this morning, 
with a confession that I don't always feel God's presence. I also need to confess something else to you. Um, it's not something I confess too often, but, um, I mean, it's kind of hard to talk about. But if I'm going to preach to you, I need to, be all, I need to be fully transparent with you. So, it's okay if I share this? All right. My wife and I got kicked out of Barnes & Noble, the bookstore. And I just really had to get that off my chest that you know <laughs> what kind of hoodlums we are. Why did we get kicked out of Barnes & Noble? We were in the kids section playing Where's Waldo. You guys know what that book is, Where's Waldo? Raise your hand if you know Where's Waldo. Not everyone always knows Where's Waldo. Let me explain Where's Waldo to you. All right. Where's Waldo is this book. You know, it is for kids, and I was a man. Um, it's this book of pictures of a bunch of cartoon characters, like a bunch of cartoon characters wearing bright colors. And then there's one character named Waldo. And he wears red and white striped shirt and a red and white beanie. And the goal, and he's very tiny, and the goal is you look at a picture of all of these faces and cartoons, but you have to find Waldo, and he's creatively hiding somewhere in there. And I love that game, and I thought Barnes & Noble was more like a library. You go in, read, and get out. Apparently, they want your money. Crazy people, right? So, I was in the kids' section, had already gone through three books, was winning, and they kicked us out. So I did something very dangerous. I went on the internet, and I looked up a Where's Waldo website. And I found this really cool website. that had, like, all the Where's Waldo pictures. And, you know, you know I started with level five, because I felt like I already did three levels. This is so easy. So I started with level five. I printed it out, started trying to find Waldo. I could not find Waldo for two weeks. This is how I spent my life. For two weeks trying to find Waldo. I showed my wife. I said, wife, can you? I didn't say wife. I said, Allie, can you find Waldo? She couldn't find Waldo. For two weeks. I searched and searched. So I printed out a different picture. Couldn't find him. I thought, what happened to my talent? I can't find Waldo. And then I found out this website scans pictures from Waldo books and photoshops Waldo out of the pictures so people like me spend two weeks trying to find Waldo who's not there. That's what hell was invented for. <laughs> Just kidding, no. What terrible people who photoshop Waldo out of the picture and yet sometimes I feel like God has been photoshopped out of my own story. Have you ever been looking and looking and trying to find God and you just couldn't find him? You were told that God is there, God cares about you, and you're like, yeah, but look at my situation. I've been searching for two weeks, two months, two years. I've been praying and praying and praying for a miracle. Nothing's happening. Where is Waldo? Where is God? It feels like God has been photoshopped out of my life. That must be how Moses felt. Let me quickly remind you about Moses. So Moses took the, uh, took the people of Israel out of Egypt. They've been in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years. And he takes them, he comes and he, he delivers them out of Egypt and they're headed to the promised land. It's so exciting. Headed to the promised land and then boom, they come face to face with the Red Sea. And uh, they, they can't cross it. And, that, and, and that's a bummer. But the bigger bummer is that Pharaoh just changed his mind 
And now all these Egyptian chariots are coming after them. Have you ever been stuck between your future and your past? Like 2019, you were like, you know, 2019 has been a terrible year. I can't wait for 2020, right? Like, you thought maybe your marriage was getting a little better. Your kids were were doing a little better. And then COVID-19 happened and you guys were stuck in the same house all the time. And now here come the fights again. You know, COVID-19 made you feel like your future was on pause. You were just, you were just, you were just getting going. Momentum was going. And then 2020 stopped you. And you couldn't go forward. And then all the things from your past that you thought you conquered were coming back to get you. And you found yourself stuck between your future and your past. The fights were happening again. The addictions were happening again. That, that, that substance that you thought you conquered, it was really tempting because you were just stuck inside. Stuck between your future and your past. Moses feels stuck. And the people of Israel come up to him and they're not very helpful. They say, was this your plan? Your plan was like, you know, save us from slavery and then die here? Was that your plan? And Moses... What a man. He, he, he gives this great speech. If you read it, Moses says, Do not fear. Sounds like me. He said, Do not fear. I, I'm paraphrasing. Do not fear God. God who has gotten us this far, he will you know, he'll help us. Now everybody shut up. That's literally, like, go back and read it. Go back and read it. He literally ends, he has this beautiful speech about God's faithfulness, and he ends it by saying, now shut your mouth. I wish more speeches ended like that. I have a dream that y'all would just shut up. Like, man, I would love that speech. Not as good as the original, but can you imagine, like, Abraham Lincoln, four score and seven years ago? Shut up, you know, like, just every great speech just ends with shut your mouth. That's how Moses felt in this moment. He's like, don't, don't be afraid, God is with us, just stop talking to me. And then in the next sentence, the next verse, God says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Check this out, you guys. If you read between the lines, here's what happens. He gives a great speech. About God's faithfulness. And then he says, Help! That's like, what happens? He gives a great speech. And the next verse, God says, Why are you crying out to me? Parents, have you ever done this with your own kids? We're fine. No, we're not. You know? You know, you have to come to church and pretend like it's all good. But God heard you crying out to him. You know, people say, How are you doing? Oh, God is good. I'm doing great. God! You know? Have you ever had to, like, put on that fake church face? It's even easier when you wear a mask. The truth is we were wearing masks long before they were required. We've been coming to church wearing masks for years. Now we're all upset about it, but it's actually easier to hide what you're really doing with. Moses gives a great speech, but the truth is he's just as afraid as the people of Israel. So God says to Moses... Moses, what's in your hand? And he had this cool, like, Gandalf stick, you know, for my Lord of the Rings fans. He has a stick, so 
he goes up to, to the ocean. And here's where Hollywood gets the story wrong. How many of you have ever seen um, either Prince of Egypt or Ten Commandments or any movie version of Moses and the Red Sea? Put your hand in the air. All right. So here's what normally happens. He comes up to the Red Sea. He's like, and then boom, massive explosion, water shoots in the air, instant miracle, great special effects. You can see a shadow of a whale. It's so cool. That's not what the Bible says. That didn't happen. It was more like this. Do not fear. I have a stick. Still wet, God. Shazam! Abracadabra! Nothing! Nothing happens. You know how embarrassing that is? Guys, don't worry. I got the stick. Maybe it's upside down. Nothing. Nothing happens. You, you, know, you know what the Bible says? It says that an east wind began to blow. Let me explain the geography of this. He is standing on the west side. He's standing on this side of the Red Sea. But the Red Sea, from what the Bible seems to be saying, starts parting on the opposite side. Has God ever answered your prayers the wrong way? Like, God, I was praying for a boyfriend, but him? Right? God, I prayed for a miracle, and you kind of did it, but not my way. Not in my timing. God answers his prayer, but from the opposite side. And then it says, all night long. An east wind began to blow all night long. That means Moses has to go to sleep not having seen the miracle. That's tough. You've been praying and praying and praying, but every time you go to sleep, in your naked eye, you cannot see that God is there. It would appear from Moses' perspective that God delivered them from Egypt and then abandoned them. And you're like, God, it was cool that you did that one miracle, but I kind of need another one or I still die. Like, the whole point was that I don't die. Like, that's cool that I'm not dead yet, but, you know, could you please, where are you? And it seems like God has gone silent. And Moses has to go to sleep. Trusting and believing that maybe, maybe God is working behind the scenes, but he can't see it. Have you ever felt like God has gone silent? I have. I was 28 years old. I had never done drugs, never chewed tobacco, never drank alcohol, and yet I was diagnosed with stage 4 tongue cancer. Doctors couldn't explain it. They said, we're going to remove 20% of your tongue. And we're going to open up your neck, remove half the lymph nodes. And, uh, and then we think you'll be okay. So I go through all these surgeries. They remove part of my tongue. And two months later, the cancer comes back even more aggressive. And they say, if we don't operate, you're going to die. This time, to be extra safe, we're going to remove 
an additional 60% of your tongue. We're going to open up your other part of your neck, remove all the lymph nodes. We're going to recreate a fake tongue using your arm. I have a huge scar all up my arm. And the cancer had been leaking a chemical to my legs. I found myself in a wheelchair. And they said, we don't know if you'll ever walk again. We don't. We can't promise you'll even talk again. And if you do talk, it'll just sound like gibberish. And for your arm, I don't know if you'll, it'll be functional again. Now, here's the thing, you guys. I grew up singing, preaching, and playing piano. And all of a sudden, I was told you'll probably never sing again, preach again, or play piano. It was degrading. It was scary. So I went into surgery, 15-hour surgery. Now I was missing 80% of my tongue. They were creating a new fake tongue. And when I woke up, and I'll try to make this quick because I know this is a family service, but I, I woke up in the ICU, and my tongue was so swollen that I couldn't breathe through my mouth. And so they, they put what's called a trach in my neck, a tube in my neck. But my body was rejecting that tube and was forming mucus, and I couldn't breathe through my neck. And in my nose, I had feeding tube. And accidentally, in the ICU and in all the emergencies that were going on, it got ripped a little bit. And now blood had plugged up my nose, and I could not breathe through my nose, my mouth, or my neck. And I would start suffocating and panicking, and my heart rate would rise, and the doctors would run in, and they'd take a little skinny vacuum and put it down my throat. And I would breathe for a little bit and then slowly get plugged up. And every five minutes, I thought I was dying. The pain was absolutely horrendous, and so they're trying to give me pain medicine, but pain medicine blocks, blocks you up, and so they were giving me um, Senna, uh, which you know, helps your body to function. And one nurse, and, and, and these nurses are amazing, first of all. If you're a nurse in here or a doctor, like what you guys see every day, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't do what you do. And I, my, my respect, utmost respect to you. This one nurse ended her shift by giving me Senna, which helps my body use the restroom. And the next nurse started her shift by giving me Senna. You can imagine what happened next. There was the Moses explosion, you know. And I remember in this one moment screaming on the floor of the hospital bathroom, covered in my own vomit, mucus, blood, and sitting in my own waste. It's the most degrading thing I've ever experienced. I've never felt less like a man in that moment. And all I could think, all I could remember was the doctor told me, it only gets worse for the next five days. And I thought, five days? I can't even do this for five more minutes. The nurses came in, cleaned me up, put me back in the hospital bed, and I, got, I grabbed my phone, and I typed, easy ways to die. Google search. How can I kill myself? How can I kill myself without it hurting too much? Because I'm tired of the needles. I'm tired of being poked. So if I kill myself, I don't want it to be too painful. I started looking around the hospital room. What can I do here? I'm just done. 
I hadn't slept in three days by this point. All I knew was simple math. I need the pain to end. And the only way this pain ends is if I die. Some of us have been in that dark moment. It's called hopelessness. Hopelessness is the belief that you are stuck, that life will not get better. And when you give in to that fear and into that feeling, it, it makes life feel like it's not worth living. I gave in to that fear. I gave in to that hopelessness. The belief that I was stuck. The belief that I would never get better. So I wanted to kill myself. And I hadn't slept in three days, so I wasn't really thinking straight. In that moment, my wife showed up at 9 p.m. in the hospital. She, she, was, she would wake up at 4 a.m., go to one job. After that job, go to another one, working two jobs to help pay for the medical bills. She'd get to the hospital by 9 p.m., stay with me till midnight, go back home, wake up at 4, and do it all again. And uh, she walked into the hospital room that day. She could just look into my eyes, and there was just no life. She knows, she knows me really well, and she knew I was giving up. In that moment, she didn't know what to say. And can I tell you something? Often, this is going to kind of sound like, can he say that in church? But I've said worse. Um, uh, sometimes when someone's going through trauma, we don't know what to say. So we like to quote scripture at them. And i got to be honest with you. That was the last thing I needed. Because I, I, I could quote scripture to myself. I'm a preacher. I know the Bible. I could debate my own self theologically. I didn't need another verse. I knew, I knew if she was going to quote a verse, I already could guess which one it would be. And it wasn't going to help me in that moment. And that might sound like, how, how, are you saying you need less Bible? No, I, I didn't say that. But I did say when Jesus showed up to the home of Lazarus, Lazarus had already died. And his sister was grieving. Lazarus' sister was grieving. She came up to Jesus and she said, If you had been here, my brother would not be dead. She's angry. And really what she's saying is, Jesus, this is on you. This is your fault. You could have stopped here. Where were you? I looked for you. I didn't see you. I didn't hear from you. I didn't feel you. And now he is dead. This is on you. And Jesus looks at her. And he does not quote scripture. It says Jesus wept. Sometimes all you need to do is just weep with them. Your words aren't going to mean anything in that moment. All they need is you to shut up and sit and listen, and cry, and pray with them. And when their faith isn't enough, your faith comes alongside and says, Don't give up, because I'm not giving up on you. My wife looked at me, and she didn't say anything. She just began to sing. And my wife will tell you, she's not a singer. That's... That was never a passion of hers. That's not what she does. She's not a singer. But when words would never be enough, 
she sang. She didn't give me advice. She didn't tell me how I should be feeling. She didn't tell me that I should have more faith. She didn't preach at me. She sang over me. When my faith was at its end, her faith was beginning. Because perhaps true faith is to sing when there's no good reason to sing. She began to sing. and There's this old hymn. Come now, fount of every blessing. But she didn't know the words to it. So she made up her own words. You are good, Lord. You are good, Lord. You are good, Lord. You are good. She's beginning to pace the hospital room, singing her own words. She didn't hit all the right notes. She didn't say all the right words. But her voice began to echo through the hallways of that hospital. And as her tears began to hit the cold hospital floor, life was beginning to fill that room. I hadn't felt God in three days, but in that moment, when my faith was shot and hers was strong, I felt what felt like if peace was a person, it floated into that room and I began to drift off to sleep as she continued to sing for three hours. I slept for the first time in three days. I woke up 15 hours later and I said, I'm not giving up. I don't have a good reason to not give up, but she didn't give up and God didn't give up. So why should I? I wasn't healed. I actually didn't say those things. I texted to her because I couldn't talk. Couldn't talk for almost a year. Couldn't eat food for a year. I lived off, lived off a feeding tube. I still had eight weeks of chemotherapy, 35 rounds of radiation, more surgeries and more stress. But I, all I could do was just not give up. Some of you feel like you're losing at life. If you be honest, you feel like you're a loser, but can I tell you something? You only lose when you give up. See, the enemy actually can't defeat you. Only you can defeat you. He can make you feel like you're defeated, but you if you don't give up, he, he loses. Can I tell you something? If you're in this room right now, you're undefeated. You are undefeated. You maybe had some shortcomings, some mistakes you wish you could correct, but you didn't give up. As long as you don't give up, you are winning. And that drives the enemy mad. All I knew is I'm not going to give up. So I worked and worked and worked. Speech therapy, speech therapy, rehab, anything. Trying to get my voice back. About a year later, I kind of, kind of sing again. I used to cry myself to sleep because I would try to sing and I just sounded like not even a human. I hated it. It would make me cry. But I kept working. Didn't give up. I played piano. Started getting my arm back. One day I could sing okay. I could kind of, they could kind of understand me. They had to use subtitles when I talked. I asked my pastor at the time. I said, hey, you know, this church has been so good to me. hasn't given up on me. I'd love to sing a song that I wrote to say thank you. So they gave me permission, and July 2nd, 2017, I got up on stage, and 
I sang a song I had written called These Walls. It's a worship song about choosing to worship God even when the walls are still standing. Choosing to worship God even when you're suffering and you're questioning. Choosing to believe that God is good even when life is not. I, I stood up there and I sang the song. They, they, they added subtitles for all the people who couldn't understand me. And then that week, my pastor said, hey, can we put it on Facebook? Because not, you know, not everyone was there on Sunday. And then my life changed. He put it on Facebook. A couple days later, 100,000 people had seen it. A few days later, a million people had seen it. A week later, two million people had seen it. Eventually, six million people had seen it, and we were getting calls from NBC, Fox News, 700 Club, saying, can we share your story on our television show? All of a sudden, churches around the world started contacting me, saying, hey, could we, would it be okay if we translated your song into Korean, into Japanese, into German? We want to sing your song this Sunday. And now every month I receive a paper that tells me of which churches, what areas are singing the song. Do you know that over 25 languages are singing the song every Sunday morning in churches and countries all over the world? Of people saying, I'm not giving up. I'm choosing to worship God even though I don't feel like it. It's easy to worship God when life is easy. That's not even faith. You know, what, you know what true faith is? Is when you don't have the energy or the desire to raise your hand, but you do anyway. When your voice is broken and shivering, but you sing anyway. And it sounds bad, but it sounds great to heaven. When the person next to you wears earplugs so they don't have to hear your rocky, shaky voice, but God opens his ears louder and says, That is faith! So, I want to sing that song over you. And, I, you know, my voice is still struggling. It's not going to be the prettiest, but it's going to be authentic. And I hope that helps some of you who feel like, well, I don't have a good singing voice. God disagrees. A good singing voice is one of trust and faith. And choosing to worship. Let me tell you about the sharks. I didn't end that story yet. So three sharks are circling the board. And remember, how far did I go? You guys are so good. I went past all the waves. And yet, as soon as I declared, listen, I didn't even believe it. I said God is with us. I didn't mean it. It's something about declaring. I declared something that I didn't even really believe. And not that I didn't believe it, but I just, I wasn't saying it out of faith. I was just saying it to calm her down. Yet as soon as I said God is with us, we heard the sound like a mighty rushing wind. Out of nowhere, I can't explain this. Out of nowhere, a wave formed. Picked up our longboard. Started taking us into shore. And the crazy thing is, this was San Diego. The beach was filled with people, mostly children. And i got to be honest with you. I didn't try not to hit them. I was just holding on for dear life. If we hit a kid, you know what happens. 
I did not steer this board. I just held on. But that board maneuvered, didn't hit a single person. We got to shore, and in my backpack, my phone was ringing, and I picked it up. It was my mom. She said, Jason, are you okay? And it's not like my mom calls me every day at that same time. It says, are you okay? It was out of the blue. She was up in Orange County. It was, a, it, was, it was far away from where we were at. She said, are you okay? And I said, well, we were just surrounded by three sharks. And she said, you know, five minutes ago, God told me you were in danger and to start praying for you. I didn't feel God. She did. That's why we come to church, because sometimes when my faith isn't enough, I need yours. That's why we come together here. See, some of you thought you could only come to church if your faith was strong. But actually, if your faith is weak, welcome to the club. We are glad you are here. Because we can strengthen each other. Sometimes it feels like God is silent. And we misinterpret that silence. But, you know what's crazy? My doctor told me I would never release another CD. He told me I'd never make music again. I'm holding 18 songs that I've recorded since losing my tongue. And when, when I write a song, when I, write, when I start writing a song, I, get, I make a lot of noise. I'm banging on the piano, I'm finding the right chords, I'm trying different lyrics, I'm like humming different tunes, and it's kind of noisy. But all of a sudden, my wife will tell you, all of a sudden I'll get like really quiet. I'll get really silent. And it would be easy to misinterpret my silence for giving up. To misinterpret my silence as being bored. To misinterpret my silence as apathy, as if I don't care about my creation. But my, my wife will tell you, it's the very opposite. When I get silent, she gets excited because she knows I only get silent when I am very focused. I only get silent when I'm onto something, when I figured out a new melody, a new rhythm, a new lyric. I only get excited when I'm about to do something very creative. And some of you have been misinterpreting God's silence for thinking he's forgotten about you. But could it be that when he's silent, he's more focused on your situation than ever before, and he's been working behind the scenes, parting the Red Sea from the opposite side? Perhaps in the silence, he's being creative. And perhaps when he's very silent, you should be very excited. Because his silence does not mean you are forgotten, but rather he is focused. And yeah, you're going to have to go to bed sometimes. And in your own eyes, it won't look like God has been moving. But if you could only see what was happening on the other side of the Red Sea, God's been working on your situation all night long. You are not forgotten. You are not insignificant. Some of you in this room, you, you think you're not important. You think... I'm nobody. Can I tell you something? God never said that. That voice that you hear 
that tries to tell you that you are insignificant and not important is the voice of a scared enemy who knows your potential. And he only wins if he gets you to think you will never win. He only wins if he gets you to give up. But I'm here to ask you to sing when you don't feel like singing. To raise your hands when you don't feel like raising your hands. To worship God when the walls are still standing. And to not misinterpret his silence. Because you are loved. And you are not forgotten. Can we worship together for a little bit? I want to start by singing the song, These Walls. And I think we might even have the lyrics. But if not, my first quest will be to put this microphone in here. Oh, I did it. Awesome. Let these words just wash over you. And if you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to kneel, you can kneel. If you want to raise your hand. But I encourage you, once you've kind of caught on, I encourage you to sing, even if you don't feel like singing.
words that's okay so one time I just I didn't have any words so I just sang this Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
white voices sing. And while we've been misinterpreting God's silence, we're actually the ones who have been silent. God, God misses your voice. He misses the conversations you used to have. He misses the songs you used to sing. He's saying, would you come back home? Would you be with me again? Would you sing that song again? So if that's you, if you're ready to sing again, one more time. You are hope to the hopeless thing. You are hope to the hopeless. You are peace. You are good. You are good. to us and um, uh, for those, some of you had Facebook me and asked um, we do have CDs and books and um, we got to share more of a story especially from her perspective in this in the story and really grateful to uh, for my wife like like we need people who won't give up on us and so some of you if you're if you're here for the first time and and you're not sure about church like you are more welcomed than you know. And you are more loved than you know. And I hope you will make this your family. Because we need people like my wife who, when we feel like giving up, they don't give up on us. Amen. You are loved. Thank you so much. God bless you guys.